Somebody say Daniel's prayer. Thank you. Today I want to preach to you what I believe might be a somber message, but it's meant to encourage us because we're not the first generation to have to go through times like we're facing here. Look at Daniel chapter 9 verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, somebody say Daniel, thank you, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord. Somebody say, I turned to the Lord. Amen. I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition. Say prayer and petition. Amen. Somebody say in fasting. Somebody say in sackcloth and ashes. Amen. Amen. And then he says, I prayed. I prayed and I confessed. I'm going to get to that part in just a moment, but I want to catch you up to what's happening here in the scriptures. Daniel is in a land that's not his own. He is there because of the sins of his people. The people of Israel had sin. They had given over their children to idolatry. They had given their children in their, in their country, in their city, over to false gods. They were even sacrificing children to Molech and to Baal, to their false gods, giving up their children. Everybody say, giving up their children. Amen. They gave up their children. They were disobedient themselves, and they brought a curse on their children. They didn't think about the commands of God. And God sent prophets to them over and over and over again to warn them. As a matter of fact, he quotes one of them right here, Jeremiah. And you can see it. You don't have to turn there right now. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10, Jeremiah said to the Israelites, because you have not listened to the warnings, you are going to go into captivity for 70 years. And for so often, the Israelites used to say to themselves, we'll never go into captivity. We're God's people. Don't you know the stories of Egypt? Don't you know how God took us out? Look what God did to Pharaoh. He drowned him in the Red Sea. No nation can touch us. That's the kind of pride that they had. They felt they were invincible and that there could be no enemy to take them down. Haven't you heard the story versus uh, David versus Goliath? And so they thought they could do whatever they wanted to do. And yet Jeremiah was warning them even years before saying, listen, you are getting to the point where God will judge you. You're getting to the point where God will actually remove his presence from that special place called the temple, that place where God had showed up with Solomon, uh, yes, King Solomon, and the glory came down so heavy that the priests could not even minister Jeremiah says God's going to get to the point where he's going to even remove that, that presence from the temple and allow it to be destroyed. And the people laughed at Jeremiah. They did not believe him. They actually threw him into a cistern, threw him into an old well, threw him into a pit and said, Jeremiah, we don't want to listen to you. We don't want to pay attention to you. We are Israelites. We're special. God will not let this happen to us. As a matter of fact, there was other prophets that came up at the same time of Jeremiah, and they said, don't listen to Jeremiah. He's not really a prophet. We're real prophets. And here's what God has told us. God has told us peace and safety. We're going to live long and prosper. We're going to have a great life. As a matter of fact, it's going to keep getting better and better. 
Don't listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's lost his mind. And then the armies began to come against Israel. And they still believed those false prophets until it was too late where their city got sieged. And what that meant back then is you couldn't go out of the city walls. You couldn't go to the farmland. You couldn't go to the places where you were normally getting your food to bring it into the city. And it got so bad for the Israelites that mothers began to cannibalize their children. And as a matter of fact, it says that one time the king was walking around looking at the despair and he was asked to be a judge in a situation. And the situation was between two moms. They both agreed, we'll eat each other's children. One day we'll eat mine and the next day we'll eat yours. And the woman said to the king, we have eaten mine, now she has hid hers. That is how bad it got for them. They then took their children, the very children that they thought they were diversifying, the very children they thought they were protecting by murdering their younger siblings, by giving the infants to Baal, they thought they were protecting their older children. Those teenagers were then kidnapped, taken as captives, and brought to a foreign nation. That's where Daniel is. Daniel's in Babylon now. And you know his friends by their Babylonian names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those aren't even their names that they were given by their Hebrew parents. That's the names their slave masters gave them. Changed their names. Changed their identity. And so some of you have flippantly gone through the story of Daniel and the lion's den, but I wanted to wake you up a little bit. That's why they were there to begin with. Their parents had been conquered. They had seen their own neighborhood go the way of cannibalism. And now they are slaves oppressed in an oppressed nation. And yet God is still faithful to them. God is being kind and gracious to these teenagers who are becoming adults in this foreign land. And they're becoming more righteous than their parents because now they're learning the lessons that their parents didn't listen to. They're going back to Jeremiah where their parents threw Jeremiah in a pit, didn't pay attention to Jeremiah. Now Daniel as a young man is reading what old pastor Jeremiah had to say, what the prophet was speaking back then. And he's going back going, man, I got to listen to Jeremiah. Jeremiah knew that this was coming and we're here now. And what he discovers is some bad news and there's some good news. The bad news is they're going to be there for a while. Not just a year, not just two years, not just three, not just 10, 20, 30, 40. They're going to be there for 70 years, pretty much the lifespan of the children. In other words, a generation is going to pay the penalty. Because for a generation, the Israelites, we're not listening to the Lord and we're not giving their best to God. God is not going to repay them with judgment. But the good news is it will not go on forever. There will be an end to it. And so Jeremiah says at the end of 70 years, God is going to bring them back. And so I'm not going to go into the full story of the restoration. You can read that in Ezra and Nehemiah about how God restores the temple and brings back the Israelites. 
But what we have to do is understand this right here. We are not the first generation to find ourselves in a situation that we didn't even ask for. Were you here, most of you, when they took prayer out of schools? Most of us weren't even alive. Now, if you were alive, we blame you. <laughs> but we forgive you in Jesus' name. But maybe you fought for righteousness. We don't know. I'm half kidding. Got to love some of the older folks in here. Want them to come back. Amen. But most of us, let's be honest, we weren't here when they took prayer out of schools. Were you here when they had it in the Supreme Court, Roe v. Wade? Were you gathering in the church? Were you here? When the urban communities were handed over to drugs and to gangs and to defilement, most of us weren't here. Were you here when the definition of sexuality began to change in the 60s and 70s? Were you here when drug use became normalized in the songs of the 60s and 70s? Most of us were not here when a generation changed and turned its back on God, but now we are receiving the punishment for what they did. Let's be honest. We're receiving the punishment for what they did against our God, for what they stood by and allowed to happen because they were so concerned at that time with not offending anybody and giving everybody their own choice and space and not really causing much of a ruckus the church as a whole, I'm not talking about the radicals who were out there standing for Christ. God bless them. I'm telling you, there were some radicals around there. But I'm talking about the church as a whole, pastors as a whole, denominations as a whole. They felt that if they just let the world be the world, everything would work itself out in the long run. As long as we just stayed in the church and just kind of did our churchy things, then maybe we could make a difference. And so the church got out of politics and handed it over to the devil. The church got out of the schools, handed it over to the devil. The church got out of the urban communities, ran to the suburbs, got and handed it over to the devil. And the church got out of teaching and preaching theology and handed Sunday mornings over to Disney World and entertainment. And the devil said, I'll keep you entertained with adulterers and homosexuals. I'll keep you entertained. And so now here we are. Somebody say, here I am. And you're left wondering, what in the world do I do? What is there for me to do, Jesus? I'm waking up to this. I don't know about you, but some of my first memories is in a world of wickedness. Getting my hair cut by a homosexual. One of my first memories of getting a haircut is by a homosexual. He eventually died of AIDS. That's one of my first memories. One of my first encounters with the inner city is with young people that came from the, the south side of our town. They hated me. They called me a white boy, and I hated them, and I called them bad names. I'm ashamed. But we had racial wars in our school. That's how I was in, introduced to the urban community. I was introduced to... Sex, drugs, partying by the movie stars and musicians that were prevalent of my time. I didn't even know I was being influenced by it. I had to get free from that. Christ had a plan to redeem me out of it. If you would have asked me, 
November 5th, 1995, say at 2 o'clock in the afternoon before I got saved that evening at 6, what did I think about homosexuality? I would have said, who cares? I don't think much about it. What is there to care about it? If you would have asked me about drugs, I would have said, they're good. Let everybody do drugs. Now, thank God I got free from racism when I started listening to NWA, and I started to say, man, these guys are cool. I just need to understand them more. And then we started doing drugs together. But if you would have said, what do you think about violence? Hating somebody by just what you see or what you don't get along with, I would have said, man, that's fine. They got what's coming to them. And if you would have asked me, what did I think about religion? I would have said, man, they're all dumb. They're all wrong. Maybe Jesus was the, the one for Christians, but Buddha's the one for Buddhists. And then, you know, Krishna's the one over here for, for Hindus. Everybody's got their figure, and if that helps them, that's fine. But they're all just dumb to me. They're like Santa Claus. And as a matter of fact, I said that to my mother at the kitchen table before I got saved. What is my point? My point is, is that I was, like most of you, a product of this generation, and I was even brought up in church. The pull of this culture was greater than my parents bringing me on Sundays and Wednesdays in youth group. My friend's pull was greater. The TV was greater. The music was greater. The girlfriends were a greater pull on my soul than the things of God. It was so tempting. Has anybody been where I've been before? Has anybody been in a product of this generation know what I'm talking about? But Jesus, somebody say, but Jesus. But Jesus came in and saved us. And now he took us from where we used to be to where he is. And he picked us up out the miry clay, set us on solid ground. Amen. He turned our frown upside down, put a pep in our step. We used to be busted and disgusted. Now we're high on Jesus. We're hooked on him. And there ain't no high like the most high. Amen. We've been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and made an alien, a stranger to our own countrymen and to our own generation. It's like we don't fit in anymore. And there is a lot of people out there right now that need us to go reach them. But the question is, what do we do now with the overwhelming, the incomprehensible, and what seems like the unachievable weight of sin coming against us. How do, we come, how do we come against this now? What do we do with this? It's unimaginable how deep it goes and how twisted it is. and It almost seems like it's, it's impossible to conquer this. Somebody say, we got to pray. We've got to pray. We have got to pray. We have got to turn our faces towards God. And realize that we're not the first generation that has found itself in a situation like this. And that God is able to do something great even while we're in Babylon. Even while we are in the midst of those who hate our God. Even while we're in the midst of those who are treacherous against our God. And who are living sinful lives. We can make a difference. We can change the world. We can be like Daniel, but we need to pray. And the kind of prayers that we need to pray need to come from a heart of brokenness and honesty because we cannot do this 
religiously. We cannot do this passively. We cannot do this in a way that's just out of Sunday morning guilt because the pastor preached at us. This has to be something that we embrace and bring near to our hearts and that comes close to us and influences us in how we live our everyday life because it's not that we just pray once, but we live a lifestyle of prayer. We live a, with a mindset of prayer and of repentance and of confession to God of our need for Him. We need to have what Daniel says, deep within our heart and never let it go. And as we pray and as we seek God, we know that he doesn't change, but we need to change because we have been a part of the problem even ourselves because we cannot point it all just to them to our parents and to previous generations. Even we have been a part of this system. Even we have been a part of the problem. And so we cannot just pray prayers of repentance for past generations. We also need to pray the all-inclusive repentive prayers of we, me, myself, and I, together with this culture, have sinned. And we need God's mercy. We need God's kindness. Amen? to see what God alone can do. When I look at those in this culture and how deeply hurting they are, before I read the prayer, I want to ask you something. Are you grieved by it? Are you hurt by it? I was just uh, reading on because I'm going to be finishing my book on suicide, and I was just, just uh, shocked and grieved by a story of a show that was uh, once, I believe, on MTV. And three of the cast members have already committed suicide. Very attractive, model-looking young adults. Three out of this show have already committed suicide. Just grieved me. It just hit me so hard like suicide is such an epidemic in our young people. I just, I just can't in my heart read something like that and not be touched by it. It's so grieving when I think about this generation having all the food they could ever eat. They're having all of the medicine and the ability to live a healthy life that, that any generation, that, that no other generation has ever had or could hope for. They have more technology. They have more togetherness in a sense, like more things to do. Like they're just not alone on a farm. They can be together on the phone. They can be together in person. They have more money. A lot of these people were doing well with their money as young adults from their modeling and their reality shows. And yet they're committing suicide at rates that are increasing and increasing. And then at that same moment that I'm feeling grieved about this, I'm grieved about what's going on in our culture as it comes down to violence, about how Chicago right now in one community on the south side is the most violent community in the United States of America. I mean, how do we hear that on the news and just go right past that? They say now we have set new records of murder in this community and in this city. It's double, triple than it is even in places like Minneapolis and in other, other cities that have had devastating things happen this year. And yet we are going on as if business as usual. 
we have gotten to the point in the church where we consider it normal. Yeah, that's what happens over there. Or we become classist and we say, well, that's what those people do. That's what those people do. Those people in those neighborhoods, that's what they do. That's not my people in my neighborhood. And the church has become so numb to it that they think just maybe once a year popping out there and doing some grocery drive or something is enough. Have we really given our all for those communities? Have we considered them our communities? Have we given our best to them, not just our leftovers? I'm grieved by what's happening in Chicago. And then at that same moment, I mean, you're like me, right? You're flipping through the news feeds. At that same moment, within a day or two, I'm hit with the next statistic that now another movie star is becoming transgender, and transgenderism is becoming more popular, and that its acceptance is going higher. And I'm just sitting back going, what has happened to our generation? That instead of fixing the mind, which is broken, see, let me just be very honest with you about transgenderism. Some people treat us as Christians as we're oompa loompas, but we're not. We're actually smarter than them. <laughs> and I'll help you prove it. When you talk to those who support transgenderism, you ask them, where is the problem? And they'll always say, that the person's brain doesn't match their body. That's the entire foundation of transgenderism. So what they're going to do is change the body to match the mind. But let me ask you something. Do you take things that are broken and fix them, or do you take things that are working and break them? What do you do to fix problems? You take broken things and you fix them, right? You don't take things that are working and then break them. So you have in transgenderism this insanity. The mind is broken. Both Christian and non-Christian agree in this issue. It's the mind that is broken. It is the mind that needs some type of healing to it. But their solution is to go for this example. She's the woman actor from Juno. In this example, it's to take the woman's well-working breasts meant to nurture children and cut them off. It's in the solution to take out her ovaries and her woman parts that work well to bear forth children, to literally sew up her womb and to put on plastic parts to imitate the male body part. And then to pump her full of hormones that are not natural to her body at that level. All for what? To fix the mind? I got a solution. Fix the mind to fix the mind. How about that? Fix the mind to fix the mind. And so if people say back to us, why well, are, you, are you encouraging electrotherapy and these crazy things of the past? No, I'm saying in the 21st century with some of the most greatest you know, doctors and technology we've ever had, we learn to fix the mind. We learn to protect them from themselves and their high rate of suicide. But what we don't do is break those things which are working to try to fix that which is broken. But that's the world that we live in right now. And so I go from one article to one live video to one scene to the next, and I'm sure that I've missed your top five right now. 
You're probably thinking of the mother that killed her twin daughters that just got, or twin children just got caught after 10 years of evading the police. You might be thinking of the other situation where the kids, kill, the, the, the children killed their parents. You might be thinking of this one, that one. There are so many things that speak to our hearts if we're listening and show us the depravity of this nation. And we didn't ask for it. But now we need to fix it. And we need to do that with prayer and repentance, and we need to do it without just shifting blame to everybody else. We have to do it by taking responsibility. So for me, as a pastor, I could never look at the urban plight. Like I said, NWA got me out of racism and helped me understand the black plight more. I know it sounds funny, but it worked for me in junior high. It did. It got me to understand, okay, well, that's what they're going through. I get it now. It's a hard life. But what I didn't understand is that there was a better way for the community to come out of that situation. And so when I became a pastor, I went right to the south side where at once as a young child I was racist, then as a teenager where I did drugs, I then went there not with racism, not with drugs, but with hugs and the gospel to reach out and to say, we can do this together. God has an answer. And as he set me free, he will set you free. And I've been working in those communities ever since, and I consider them a part of my community, my family. And you know that. Because you've been a part of what we do out there in those communities. As a matter of fact, I'm always willing to put our church in that community. We were going to at one, at one time have our church on the west side. And as we were looking for that facility, I was approached by a prostitute. And what she meant for evil, God meant for good because God said, don't forget this community as you're visiting around looking at neighborhoods. I was new to Chicago less than a year, and I didn't really know where I was at, so I didn't know any better, and I didn't care. But one community, the realtor said, I'm not meeting you there. <laughs> you can peer through the window. I'm telling you the truth. He said, I'm not meeting you there. That was Cicero in Chicago, right by Ohio Street. He said, I'm not meeting you there. I'm like, okay, so it's, it's in the hood. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to meet you there. So I go there. I get propositioned by a prostitute. What she meant for evil, God meant for good. We have never left that community since. That's the Ohio Park community. That's where people are a part of this church from that community because we didn't stop reaching out. Because God put it on our heart, we go there. Then other people have brought up to us, well, you think Ohio Park needs Jesus, Pastor? Just a little bit further down. Listen a little bit further down. Madison Pulaski sure needs Jesus. And so what do we do? One of our first stops with the gospel truck was to go right out there. And we'll be out there again next month. And we're going to keep going out there in Jesus' name. Amen. And you know what we realized during the Black Lives Matter fiasco and all of that? When all the white liberals and homosexuals were mad at us, not one of those that we minister on the west side had an issue when we came back. It was as if it didn't matter to them because what mattered to them was our love for that community. It's like you could imagine them coming and eating some of our food going, yeah, I don't know much about this church. Yeah, yeah, I don't keep up with Black Lives Matter and them white, crazy Antifa folks. But I know one thing. This pizza is good, and these people love me. They came out to spend time with me. Those white homosexuals waving flags in front of Nini's, I ain't never seen them out here before. <laughs> I ain't never seen them here, but I see them here all the time. 
Remember we were preaching together? Yeah, you might be a white devil to me, but you're a cool white devil because you came out to talk to me. They may not understand us. They may have racism in their heart. They may have issues that they got to work through because of what others who have, done, who have looked like us done to them or what people who believe like us who have done to them because there's a lot of black pastors and black missionaries who have left them hang, high and dry and left them hanging calling themselves Christians. So it might not just be a color of our skin. It might also be our belief, but it's not going to keep us back. We're going to keep going. And you might say, Pastor, you know, all that you talk about transgenderism and homosexuality, it sounds like the last place you would go would be Belmont and Clark. No, Belmont and Clark, I went every Friday and Saturday night for almost five years. Why? Because I'm not here just preaching against sin. I'm reaching out to sinners in love. Do you get that? So as we read Daniel's prayer, it is not just a religious prayer. It is not just something, well, Lord, forgive them, forgive us, let's just go on now. No, it's a prayer that changes us because God's already where he's supposed to be. The question is, are, where, are we where we're supposed to be? God's never left the schools, but are we in the schools? Isn't that how you got saved? Is that a school club? Let's give it up for Jason getting saved at a school club because Brother Jose and others got saved there. I'll preach there. Sure's? Sure's High School, and he went back and started it, uh, kept the club going as the president, and preached with us there. Got saved there and kept preaching there. That's the man who started. Let's give it up for TJ in the back. Started the Sure's Club. So God never left the schools, but where are the church and the Christians? We should be in the schools. God has never left Belmont and Clark, but where are we? God has never left Little India or there on Devon. God has never left Southeast Asia and our communities that are in the city like that. But where are we? God has never left. Where are we? We need to be there. And what is unique about this, and I believe some of you who are prophetic would like to know this. But go and put it up just so they can see it. Go to our sermons. Go to various as the topic. And I want you to see that before this ever happened, with BLM or COVID, God gave me a message about how to be Daniels in a wicked generation. And now that is literally what you are. There I was talking about it figuratively because that's what we needed to be, but, but no one was messing with us. It was almost like we thought we were Daniels, but no one cared if we were a Daniel. But it got really real. Somebody say really real. It got really real when we became a Daniel. When you got threatened with the lines, then yes, go to various sermons. I want you to see the date on this. It was one of our last sermons when we came, before uh, the, the outbreak came. You're going to go down just for a little bit. And God gave me a word that we needed to be Daniels. How many remember that? And that we ought not to think it's strange if we suffer, if we're in this situation, keep going back. And I want you, some of you, to go back and listen to it. Keep going. One more. Go back here. It should be on this fourth page. Go into the archives. There we go. Now go back a little bit more. Keep going down. Keep going down. It's going to be one before that. There. Yeah, going, keep going down then. It's going to be next page five. Watch this. Yeah, it's right at the beginning of these sermon series I did. Look right there. Living lawless in lawless times. January 12, 2020. January 12, 2020. Now go ahead and click on it so they can see it. 
I want some of you to be encouraged. God has this under control. He spoke to Jeremiah and said, it's going to last about 70 years. We are not the first righteous people to live in evil days. May God strengthen our hearts to give us wisdom on how to live lawful in lawless times. That was right at the beginning of the year God spoke to me. Now, I'm not trying to be Jeremiah to you today because I don't know how Jeremiah got his words, and I know that they were inspired scripture, but I can say as much as it is for me to be prophetic, that's about as much as I get right there. I may not be on the level of Jeremiah, but that's something, something coming to you right here. Are you guys listening to me? It may not be inspired scripture. I understand that, but I am telling you, this is something to take heed of. And those who rolled out during that time missed this because it wasn't a surprise about what was coming. Look at the scripture, 2 Peter 3, 17 through 18. I let in with this before I even talked about Daniel. I said, dear friends, since we have been forewarned, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawlessness and fall from your secure position. Don't fall away during this time. That's in January 12th. That's after we give our end-of-the-year review and we go to preaching for what's coming up in the new year. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You better keep growing because you can fall from your position. You can fall from what God has for you as a calling. And we have to be ready because I sense in my heart that it's not over yet. If there is a revival to come to bring a reprieve before it gets worse and it never stops, I think it will still get worse now until that reprieve. So in other words, let me give you my outline how I believe this is going to go down. I believe it's going to get worse before it gets better. And then after it's going to get better, probably the rapture, and then it's going to get worse and never get better until Jesus comes back. That's somewhat of what I believe. If you don't believe that, that's okay. But my point is this. I still believe in revival. I still believe in national repentance. I still believe in things changing. I don't think the rapture is coming next. I believe revival is coming next. That's what I'm trying to say. But my point is to get to revival, to get to national repentance, to get to the point where we are filling up stadiums, it's going to get not just a little worse in my opinion, but a lot worse. I think it's going to get a lot worse, and we have to be ready to be where Daniel was at because Daniel saw all of this and had to prepare himself for 70 years before the temple got rebuilt, before he saw those things get restored. I don't think it's going to be 70 years of waiting, but I'm telling you, we better be ready to endure whatever lies before us because those who have... A weak faith will get discouraged quickly if they think it doesn't go away as some preacher told them it's supposed to go away. I want to, if I'm wrong on anything about how long to suffer for, then at least we can rejoice together while we're having a picnic and revival and say, praise God, you were wrong, Pastor. Revival came sooner. Amen. But if I'm right and you thought it was going to be over sooner, then you might quit. And that's the worst thing to have to do right now. Don't quit before the breakthrough because I believe God is raising up a generation of world changers and history makers and roof breakers. Amen. Come on, Brother Tony. You've been here for a while. I believe God told us for 100,000. And it might come like the underground church of China. It might go like that before it gets better. But I know God's going to keep his word. Amen. I know God's going to keep his word. Let's go to the prayer. How many are ready to pray? Amen. Let's pray. Daniel. Chapter 9. This is a long prayer, and I believe that we need to listen to it all in its entirety.
So let me read it, please, uninterrupted. You can shout amen if it gets good. You can say, oh, me, if you need to repent, or oh, mine. But I want us to hear it in its entirety. Here's Daniel's prayer. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God, or have kept his laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us. And against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under a whole heaven, nothing has ever been like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and paying attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Let's read verse 19 together. One, two, three. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Somebody say amen to that prayer. Wow. It's emotional just to read it when you think about what's going on in our nation right now. Vinny, would you come, please? I want to turn the last moments we have together into a prayer meeting. Are you ready? 
I said, are you ready? We need to pray. We need to pray like this for our city. I know some of us may be a little bit cautious with COVID, so I'm going to ask that as we bring up the other mic, that we also have the materials to clean the mics in between people. But what I'm going to do is place the mic on the microphone stand and just call out for some of the things that we need to pray for. And if you want to pray, you can come on up in just a moment and pray. The Bible says that God's house should be called a house of prayer for the nations. And we need to pray as a congregation today. We need to lift up our voices. We need to pray like Daniel did. We need to let the Lord know that we mean business today. That here in this house, that we're going to serve God. Amen. Can you set that up for me, sister? Thank you. We have to today to start by repenting for our sins and then for the sins of our nations, our nation. We have to be honest and call it out and believe, thank you, that God has something for us greater than the judgment that we see upon us. Do you believe there's something greater, young men, for Belmont and Clark than what we see in Belmont and Clark? Do you believe there's something greater for the west side than what we see in the west side? Do you believe there's something greater, young man, for the high schools and junior highs than what we see right now? Do you believe there's something greater for those who come here in immigration and from different countries than what we're seeing right now? Instead of them learning the ways of our wickedness, let them come and learn the ways of righteousness. Let us become a beacon of hope again to the nations of the world. Let us not be the scorn of the world because of our wickedness and because of our corruption. So much good has come from this nation. We've led in so many ways, but we have sinned. We have fallen behind. We have turned our backs on our God. And today we need to repent. I'm going to start by praying for the pastors and for the leaders. Once I start to pray, if you want to be one of those to pray, just come and line up here. And I'm sure no matter what subject comes up, you guys can figure it out. You can either go in line or just say, hey, do you want to take that one? But I at least want in the waiting at least three to five so that we can go. Amen. I'm going to start praying. If you want to be with the other four, come on up. We can't probably do more than five. But, Father, I pray right now for the churches of this city and this nation. God, I repent on behalf of the pastors who have sold the sheep for their own personal gain, God, who have given up on the standard of righteousness in the pulpit, who have traded sound doctrine for entertainment. Oh, God, I repent. Forgive me of my sin, God, of chasing numbers, having competition in a competitive spirit. Lord, I repent, God, and I pray for your fire to come to the churches of America. I pray for your fire to come to the pulpits again, God, in every cultural community, God, where every language is spoken and they call on your name. Let churches open back up. May the gospel be preached. May sinners get saved, oh God. May disciples be made. We ask for forgiveness for letting the church, God, become lukewarm in this city and in this nation. Start in me, oh God. Set me on fire that the world, God, will watch you burn. 
In the name of Jesus, we need you, God. Our churches need you. Our denominations need you. Our ministries need a fresh touch from you, oh God. If there was ever a time, God, tis now. God, tis now. We need you now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Who wants to pray today that we'll see the purity restored to our young people, that perversion will leave this generation, whatever they call it, whatever name it goes by, adultery, shacking up, homosexuality. Come on, who wants to pray for that? Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father God, Lord, forgive us as a nation as we have repented, our God, as uh, we have done wicked and have not repented and turned away, God, from our sinful actions. We as a nation, has, we have upheld sexual morality. We have upheld, God, the perverseness and turned against your ways, against your holy creation of one man and one woman. We have put it and put on pedestals people in high places from the top to the bottom to influence our young children with the sexual perverseness that we have allowed in our nation. God, forgive us. Forgive us, God. Lord, we repent as a nation, God, for the wickedness we have allowed. Homosexuality, sexual immorality, saying that it's okay to have sex before marriage, that it's okay, it doesn't matter who you do it with, it doesn't matter where it's at, that it's okay, it's just a feel good, you can do it, it's, it's, as long as it's consensual, no, God. So much so that we've allowed it to influence in our movies, in the TV shows that we watch, and that our kids are now becoming corrupted. We see so much sexual abuse in the kids that they are now having their innocence taken. Their purity is now being tainted, God, because of our sin that we have allowed upon generations in this nation. Lord, forgive us as a nation for tainting our children and the youth's purity and saying that it's okay. Forgive us, God, and bring purity back upon our kids. Purity, God, back upon this nation that we would be a holy nation for you, sexually pure, sexually moral again, that we would get rid of all the sexual immorality we have allowed, God. Break it. Destroy it, God, so that there is holiness in you, Jesus, and in our children and in our youth again, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Who wants to pray for the sin of abortion? Someone plead for our nation to be forgiven of hands stained with blood. Lord. Lord, we just pray for all the mothers that are having these thoughts in their minds, for all the wicked things that the devil has placed in their neighborhoods, has placed in their minds, has placed in their eyes, God, in their ears. Lord God, we know that your voice is louder and stronger, Father. We know that when we pray, these prayers don't just go anywhere, but that you're listening. And then we, when we intercede for them, God, there is something that stops them, God. 
So we intercede right now for every mother. We intercede for everyone that might have this in mind right now. We intercede, Father, that their minds will be protected, that their hearts will be protected, Father, that you would snatch them away from the schemes of the enemy, Lord. We pray right now for visions and missions to be placed on these mothers' wombs, Father, that this is going to be the generation for you to raise up and change the world that your, your people might have let go in the past. This is the generation we ought to raise, Father. Place the responsibility over the parents right now. God, that we would lay hands on our children. That we would place missions, Lord God. That we would place the visions, Lord God. That we would believe and know that you have placed something in their hearts for them to be. They're here for a reason, Lord God. Place the responsibility and the heaviness over the parents. Place it right now over the children, Lord God, that they know they are here for a reason. Father, we come against over the government that's allowing this to happen. Would you raise up your prophets to rebuke them, God? Would you raise up your people, Lord, to take over the politics, Father? Would you allow us to come back, open up the doors, Lord? We will walk right in, Jesus. Raise us up, God. Give us the maturity. Give us the word, Lord. Allow us to come in. We plead with you just as the old people did in the Bible, God. We plead with you that you would change your mind, Lord. That you would not let it continue to happen. That we want it to be different. That we could change the generations to come, God. That our words will have power as we speak over the children. And it would change as we speak over the neighborhoods, Lord God. For all the ones that are going through poverty, Lord. For all the excuses right now. That they would be dead in the name of Jesus. Take over your children, Lord God. We give it on to you and pray in intercession. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Before we pray for the violence to end, who wants to pray for the injustices and the corruption that has led to so much poverty in our cities? Who wants to pray for the injustices in our jail systems that has led to a revolving door in the communities that are prevalent to violence? Who wants to pray and ask God to forgive us of injustice and lack of care and compassion for the south side, the west side, and communities like this? Father God, I just pray that you would break our hearts, Lord God. God, just because it's not us doesn't mean it doesn't matter to you or that it doesn't matter, Lord God, to our lives and what's going on. In the cities that we live in, God, I pray that you would break off complacency, Lord, because a lot of the issues that we're seeing, Lord God, are a result of a careless church. So God, I pray for every single person in this room, God, Lord, would you instill a heart of care for our city of Chicago? This is our city. We are called to steward this city and the neighborhoods and the hurting communities and the injustices. God, forgive a church that has stood by and watched these things happen and have not done anything, Lord. Even some in this room not caring at all, God, forgive us and help us, Lord. Some of us don't even know that we don't care, Lord. Help us to understand, Lord, that these things matter. They matter to you, Lord. Break our hearts in the name of Jesus. 
Bring us to a place of tears, God. The mothers that watch their children getting killed and shot on the streets are crying. Lord, I pray that the church would cry with them. Oh, that the church would stop standing by and looking cute and worship not doing anything for the communities. Awaken our hearts, God, to the cries, the blood screams from the grounds, Lord. When will it get the church's attention? When will it get your attention? When will you move? Wake up the church, Lord God. Lord, we know that the church is the answer to the injustices, God, to the corruption. It's a church that is empowered by the Holy Spirit, that is shining the light of God in these areas, God. That that will bring transformation. That will bring revival. That will bring an end to the injustice, God. When the gangbangers get saved, when the drug dealers get saved, then we won't have to worry about people going to jail or selling drugs or shooting each other, Lord. Lord, break our hearts. And through a church, Lord God, that cares about the widows, the orphans, God, the injustices that are happening, please, Lord, through us, God, would you bring revival. Jesus name come on because of time we're just going to have one more pray for the schools the young people our children would somebody just pray that they would not be given over to the attacks of Satan that we would be protected that our young people would be radical for Jesus Heavenly Father Thank you for the ability to speak to you. I pray for the confusion of the youth of today. Coming up in a world where there are lies left and right, and the truth is in front of us in a book, in your word. We pray that the youth choose your word and not choose the radio, not choose the messages that are provided to us so easily on TV, the messages provided so easily in music and video games, Lord. We pray for their confusion. We once were confused, but now we see the truth. We pray for our youth to see the truth now. Show them. Show them because they can't see, but you can soften their youth hearts. Our hearts need to be softened, but so do the youth, Lord. And we pray for them today, every single one. Even the child who we think doesn't understand, understands more than we understand, God. It's the heart of a child. Pray for their faith. Pray for our fathers and our mothers to have that same faith so we can bestow upon the youth that same faith, that same trust, Lord, in you, that we can, the pages that we read in the morning, that we read the same pages to our kids, and we read them to them like bedtime stories at night so they can wake up with a different mind. Our youth go to sleep with their headphones in. What are they listening to? We pray that it's you, God that you speak to them, even through the evil things that they're listening to, that you speak to them through that. Let them know who you are, God, because ultimately everything is yours. The gold, the silver, the words we speak, everything goes towards your end, God, and Satan has no foothold. We know that when we're up in heaven, we'll look at Satan and say, that? That is who? has tormented us that's who lied to us let our youth realize the same thing God we love you Lord let our youth love you too it is for you we make these choices in your name we pray
Amen. Can we give it up for Jesus? He hears our prayers. We honor you, Lord, in this house today. Thank you, sister. Would you stand up with me, please? The good thing about prayers, if you didn't get a chance to pray at church, you can pray at home. Amen. You can pray on your way out today. I want to encourage you now, as the band and altar workers come, that if you want to put your feet to where your words have been, join with us as we go preach the gospel. Right now, we're doing the first Saturday of the month on the west side. Come out there with us. And every Sunday night, they're going out to different communities, including tonight. Where are you guys going tonight, TJ? Logan Square. How many know Logan Square needs Jesus? You know, it's so funny. When I go to places like Logan Square, every now and then you'll meet a hipster, and they'll be like, I'm fine. You need to go give it to people who really need it. And I'm like, you really need it. Because when I go to the places what you're trying to refer to, they're nicer to me than you are. They're more considerate to me than you are. Logan Square, you really need Jesus. Hello, somebody. Join a life group in a community and start going out to those neighborhoods. We have them all over the city. So we pray and then we preach. We pray and then we what? We preach. We pray and then we we pray and then we preach. And then what? And then we preach. And then what? And then what? And then what? And then what? There you go. Do you ever stop that? No. Pray and preach. You pray and preach. We put our words into action when we get on our knees, when we lift up our hearts to God, and then we prove those prayers to be true, that we are changing. We are an answer to our own prayer as we go out into the community to see more people get saved and disciples made. Father, thank you for this awesome time today. As we get ready to dismiss, Lord, may this message stick deep within our hearts. Lead us to go into the communities that continue to grieve you. Help us to be an answer, even to our friends and neighbors. And may revival come. Come, Lord, move in great and mighty ways sooner than we could ever imagine, in greater ways than we could ever imagine. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Bless the Lord, saints.